Salutation Shades, and welcome back to your home for all things strange and unusual. Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley, who's very proud to be back. And Marcus D., who's very happy that Vic finally back in the studio in order to <laughs> do the podcast with me again. Man, we missed you. I missed you guys. Absolutely. Uh want to give a big shout-out real quick to Bryce Lynch, by the way, who's been commenting on several of our videos. Uh, over the last day, so I want to give a big shout out to him. Thank you so much, man. We love it when you guys comment on our videos, and uh, we get to respond back because it's one of our fun things we love to do in our podcast. So what all have I missed? You did well. You missed two episodes. You missed the episode when we talked about adren- the adrenochrome conspiracy, which I have listened to. Thank you very much. I- oh wait, well, you didn't say you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy <laughs> you just said you listened to it. I just I jumped the gun there a little bit. I, I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. Thank you. I appreciate that. That we did with uh, that we did with Johnny from Inquisitive Minds, um, as well as the uh, Nicholas Flamel one that we did with uh, Frank Hessians. I have not listened to that yet, but I do really like it when you have Frank on, and I'm planning on listening to it pretty soon. We almost had him come back on for this episode, but unfortunately, like, we just couldn't get the time to match up. The scheduling just didn't work out for them, which is sad, but we're going to have him back on again, because he's pretty smart and knowledgeable, and, you know, we like to pick his brand on our topics. So, speaking of videos, I know in the last two episodes, we have not commented on any of your guys' comments. Uh, and you know what? I really like to do it with Vic, so that's why I wanted to wait until he came back when I knew he was going to come back for this episode. That's why I was saving it for this episode. So, we're going to do some uh, comments from our Nicholas Fuma episode that I did with Frank. Uh, first comment comes to us from Bryce Lynch, who we gave the shout out to. Bryce Lynch says, have you read what Israel Regarde published with regard to the work with Hermetic Alchemy? I have not read that specific bit of information, but I should look into it. I know quite a bit about Hermetic Alchemy, though. What's Hermetic Alchemy? Um, you, God, have you ever noticed that almost everything starts with uh, the Hermetic Order of? Yes, I, I have noticed that everything starts with the Hermetic Order of. And then, like, a lot of other things start with the Order of Thoth or something along those lines? No, I have not. No, no, I do not know that. That is not common knowledge, Vic. Most people, I don't think most people do. They're effectively synonyms. Um, the Hermetic Order, it, it generally lends it to being a tradition that hails back to Hermes Trismegistus, which arguably means the god Hermes. It technically means Hermes the thrice-blessed. But it's this whole philosophy of thought that's pretty fascinating. It kind of boils down, well, one of the branches boils down to like there's being this triangle of the mind, body, and soul. And you can, you, you've said philosophy, right? Yes. Does that not sound very familiar? It does. Like th- this sort of mindset has been extremely influential in Western and Middle Eastern thought. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds cool. All right, Libertarian Guitarist said, great stuff, guys. Thank you, by the way. Libertarian Guitarist is a fast, uh, awesome guy who's been on our uh, channel before, by the way, that we did, uh, that I did the episode uh, over Bob Lazar. Mm-hmm. Creepy California, super fan, said, another great video. Can't wait to hear more. Have you ever talked about the Fountain of Youth? Just thinking about it since you're talking about the Philosopher's Stone. Have we ever talked about it? No, we've never talked about the Fountain of Youth, but... You know, in all of the stuff that we've been talking about with alchemy and the idea of so much of it in their notes being metaphorical, it's, you know, I, I really wonder with a lot of things like, say, like the Holy Grail, the Fountain of Youth, and, and these sort of things, if they're just metaphors for the Philosopher's Stone. I've actually always thought of it along those lines as well. You know, but I, maybe we should do some digging into it. No, I, you know, I... I I, I, I agree. I, I think the, the tricky part with alchemy is when do you take something literally and when do you take something metaphorically? You kind of have to take the whole thing as both. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everything is metaphor translating to literal, but the hard thing is a lot of the... 
a lot of the art in things like that, it's just we don't know how to translate it because some of the symbolism we still have and some of it that we don't. Like, um, do you know, like at USI, both of our alma maters, um, the oldest book in the library is a um, alchemical manuscript. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was kept in the library there just under the title The Oldest Book in the Library with no one knowing what the book was because it was written in this ancient esoteric form of German that they couldn't translate. <laughs> they eventually got to the point where they could translate and found out it was an alchemical manuscript. They oh, actually awesome. discovered that when both me and you were students there. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I always thought that was interesting. I don't know if anything's been done with the manuscript yet, though. Mm -hmm. I know they got to the point where they could translate enough to know what it was. Well, and the weird thing is, it's just because you translate it in, into English, it doesn't necessarily mean you necessarily know what exactly that they're talking about in the manuscript, if they're being metaphorical as, at times. Oh, yeah, everything will, will likely be hidden under layers and layers of symbolism. I mean, the one thing that I didn't even bring up in the Nicholas from episode that we did was how even though that they believe that they've translated the Albert Hume, the mage book that, that we were discussing... A lot of people think that it's been mistranslated <laughs> over time. So it's like, you know, yeah, we've, we've translated this book, but we may have not necessarily trans translated it the correct way. And even if we have, we don't necessarily know when it's being metaphorical and when they're being literal. So that's that's always the difficult part. But when just to regards to the Fountain View, I think that's a, a fantastic topic to talk about because there's been tons of... Uh, discussion on and searching for it on whether or not if it was in Florida or Mexico or California, at least at least within the New World. Again, quite possibly in all three because you never know exactly when what people were talking about. All right, I like this. Izzy twenty eight says, "Stay safe, guys. You guys are great. We still need you here. You inspire me to start researching even more and taking notes on Boost research." Once the on, and on Boots research, once things get better, well, that's awesome, man. We hope that your research goes well. I think more people should be talking about a lot of the stuff that we talk about. And we're trying to stay safe. Actually, uh, longtime friend of the channel, Ricky, um, he is actually in quarantine right now due to having COVID. Oh well, yeah. We're hoping that he, we're hoping that he uh, and we're hoping since he has COVID that he gets better and and has a quick and speedy recovery. Yeah, I think we've had uh, Ricky on the channel, what, twice? Uh, I think it's like three times. Three times? Three times. I love Ricky. we got to get him back here. All right, last comment for the episode is Arlagoon Yo Face. I love that name. It's kind of a doozy, a little bit of a long one. I think you were right. I think you're on the right track with the idea that part of alchemy is discovering it for yourself. Alchemy is intertwined with hermetic philosophy, which is the origin of the classic as above, so below maxim. The idea is that by affecting these seemingly impossible transformations on physical materials, you're also affecting changes within yourself, so each operation you do develops your mind and spirit incrementally. From this perspective, it makes sense that alchemists, occultists, and mystics, and the like would only want to reveal information bit by bit and only to people who are already on the path. If someone were to try to skip to the end, they would not personally uh, be personally prepared enough to understand what they are doing and might lose faith when they didn't see results or pick up bad habits, depending upon how much you put stock in the idea that these practices are real. Uh, invite effects that were unprepared to deal with, in my opinion, at least, this is the most compelling argument as to why esoterics are so secretive while simultaneously claiming to be working for the benefit of humanity. Okay, this opens up a very interesting question. And I'm not sure if you guys explored this during the Nicholas Fumel episode. But is the Philosopher's Stone a physical object, or is it a spiritual concept? Now, we we looked at it like as a primarily physical object, and how much, whether or not, does a supernatural element play into that? Like, I do generally subscribe to it being an object, just because we have descriptions of it from multiple cultures, and sometimes they match up. Not all the time, but often enough to make me think it's likely a physical object. But when I was doing the research, I did heavily explore the idea of, is this an internal concept that this just has a physical metaphor for? Well, in so much of the lore, where you have, especially like in, within like Western ideas of immortality, the idea of someone going on a quest for immortality they 
they learn more about themselves. Like oh, I plan on talking about the, yeah, this episode too. You know, so I, I think that it is a it could be a huge part in playing in in the in the end result. So I, I think that's definitely I definitely think that is a good idea, and I think that there's a lot there's a lot to that school of thought. Awesome. So are you ready to bust out some drinks? I am ready to bust out some drinks. So today I dug into our stockpile of alcohol we here here in the studio. Today I'm gonna to be drinking Angry Orchard Hard Cider Rose uh, because Vic does not like it, but I like it and it's okay. And I'm making myself a mixed drink of uh, Pinnacle Pumpkin Spiced Vodka and mixing it with Diet Dr Pepper and Cream Soda. I actually tried this last night and it is really flipping good. It has almost a oddly enough like almost a bubblegum flavor to it. It probably tastes better than the rose that I'm about to drink, but. Rose isn't too bad. I offered to mix you one. Oh, it's okay. I'm trying to... There we go. I realized Struggling we're this... over there? Well, it's not a twist-off, thank you very <laughs> much. Okay, not all of us have, you know, girly hands and need to just use an easily openable alcoholic container. Okay, let, let me put it this way. There's a reason why a vodka bottle has a twisting top. You're not going to drink it all at once. Don't make me <laughs> tell the story with the bottle of wine. Mister, I'm doing oh my 800 sit-ups, running three miles a day, strong man, and me over here being able to open said wine bottle when you couldn't. I was in mourning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay. And cheers to you guys. Cheers. Absolutely. I kind of I kind of screwed that one up because I took a few glugs of mine no, before. It's okay. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. Oh... Man, this, is, there. this is a really good mixed drink. If you guys like mixed drinks, definitely try it. Once again, Diet Dr. Pepper cream soda mixed with pumpkin spice vodka. Man, is it good. Angry Orchard Rose tastes like... It's rosé. Ro, ro, no, it says rose. That's rosé. That's That says rose. When you have that... Okay, when you get a like pink wine... And it says that. Do you think you're drinking rose wine? I thought that. I, th I thought that's what it was. I don't think it it's is. It's like rose colored. It. It's called a rosé. Oh, I thought that was just a blotch on the label. It was. It is not. <laughs> oh. That makes it rosé. Oh. Okay. So this rosé, uh, it kind of tastes like flat big K soda, like like <laughs> flat big red soda, like big K red soda. Like, it's okay. Mm. I, th I think I'm winning drink-wise today. Oh, you probably are. That's a better alcohol anyway. But there are better Angry Orchards that are out there. Oh, but, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I had some of the pear not long ago, and it was really good. Okay. Man, it's been a, it's been a bit, man. I know you've been chomping to the bit to talk about some of the stuff and immortality. This was your idea that you pitched, by the <laughs> and way, then too. I missed almost I know. all of it. This was Vic's idea for our patrons to vote on, and I ended up doing the first two episodes <laughs> of it. So I'm like... <gasps> having to scramble researching on a lot of the, the topics that we were going to do. Well, I was really interested, especially into, um, like, the the Count of St. Germain. Yeah, yeah. And that being, like, the, um, the episode that we're leading up to with it. And I'm really looking forward to that part of the topic. I feel bad that I've missed so much of it. But, okay, where do we want to start? Do you want to start saying modern, ancient, or do you have a different idea of where you want to Dealer, start? Dealer's choice, man. You, you, <laughs> it, is, it is up to you where we want to go, but we're going to take this episode. I have things okay. I want to talk about. I got something for us to start out with. Are you familiar with CRISPR? CRISPR. Do they got to make the donuts? No. I'm that's pretty Krispy Kreme. I'm pretty sure that that I'm pretty sure that CRISPR made the makes donuts. I mean the first time I heard about this, I started thinking about the CRISPR drawer in, you know, my fridge. But no, that's not what we're talking about. Okay. Are you familiar with the fact that the Chinese have been making big leaps in like genetics and stuff like yes. that? Yes. I know that we have been talking about that uh you know, just between me me and you when we were talking because at times we were wanting to we thought about whether or not we were gonna talk about like super science you know when it comes to immortality how much does can science play a role like in that like which like with changing our genetics and stuff okay are you familiar with i'm going to butcher this name and you can help me pronounce it i think it's like something along the lines of he jaiku let me see it here uh yeah let's go with that <laughs> okay are you familiar with him at all no okay this was a few years ago he basically Stunned the world by just being like, hey, I've created some genetically altered humans. 
I've seen, wait, I've seen this in a Star Trek episode. Basically, he took what was a current ethical debate in science of is this right to do and just threw it out of the window by just going, actually, guys, already done it. Isn't that like the plot of Star Trek Wrath of Khan? I would not know. I'm not a Star Trek guy. I'm, the, more of a, I'm a 40K guy. That's the whole eugenics war thing, man, that went down with that. That's where Khan came from. It was the, was the eugenics wars. I said, not that familiar with Star Trek. Oh, <laughs> sorry. But basically, he took it out of the realm of it being this the- theoretical debate, almost in the realm of science fiction, and just said, boom, it's done. How do we go forward now? Well, he was pretty much... I th- At first, there was some like general celebration but eventually long story short he was ran out of the scientific field but here's what it did in response to what he had done started the dialogue of what he did was unethical and here's why do you get what that now does it opens up a whole new can of worms when it comes like with politics yep because when you assign to him this is why it was wrong for you to do this you lay the groundwork going forward of oh there are re- there are defined reasons why this is wrong. If I avoid those, I can continue with this research. And that was that was the big thing he did. He ended up creating the dialogue that set forth the rules going forward on human genetic experimentation. By the, by people pointing out saying this is what he did wrong, it also shows showed people there is a path to go. Absolutely. And you see this even and believe it or not, you guys, there there is this conversation even already happening, I know, in American politics with the idea of, oh, God, because I, I know that I read this recently in an article, bioconservatism versus trans-progressivism progressivism yeah. is, what it, is what it is, is this conversation about this idea of whether or not I'll be messing with the natural world. This is a conversation that is already happening on the fringe like parts of... Of American politics. But the thing is, that is way behind well, world where China poli- well, is. Well, world politics, yeah. but Like, if you want to talk more about, like, yeah, we're, we're still debating the ethics. We are way behind on this field. China, after, now that, and a lot of people debate, was this a ploy? Was he the pawn for this greater move of, let's have someone go ahead and rush into it so people can say what he did wrong, so that way we can legitimately progress with the science. Like, was he a sacrifice so they could push forward? Because push forward they did (laughs) Mm -hmm. with the creation of CRISPR. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole story behind this because this could be a whole episode. (laughs) Because there's a lot of speculation, conspiracy theory and stuff involved with CRISPR as well. But CRISPR in itself is a, as I understand it, is a protein that goes into your body and will affect your your DNA in a specific way. Like say, if a specific DNA sequence needs to be shorter so it reads differently, it'll go in and remove that stuff so it reads a certain way. And it can be used to target certain parts of the body. Like it, um, they already claim that you can get this enzyme, you consume it, it goes in your body, and then over the course of time, it'll change your eye color. Mm-hmm. And supposedly you can already purchase this. Sounds like some Captain America nonsense. Well, not nonsense. This sounds like some Captain America stuff that we're talking about right now. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, there's, there's other things that they say that they can manipulate with CRISPR. Like, there is a genetic anomaly that causes your bones to be stupid, stupid, stupid tough. Mm-hmm. And they claim that they can activate that gene in someone. Mm-hmm. Downside is, the length of these DNA coils and these... Um, I forget the exact word for it. Mm-hmm. They affect a lot of things. Like by activating the gene that causes your bones to be stupid, stupid, stupid tough. At the same time, that comes with shrinking most of your organs too. Like it's not just instant superpowers in a potion. <laughs> like there, there's trade-offs, but they seem to be attempting to course ahead on this path to start getting rid of them. But a lot of the stuff in what they've been saying and what they've been implying seems to be lending to the fact that their end goal is effective immortality. They they seem their goal seems to be the ending the end of death. Dang. Yeah, CRISPR kinda scares me. It's a scary idea. Especially the means by which they effectively uh, were able to reduce CRISPR, because what they've been doing is 
going to the world scientific community and going, oh, you really want to work in this field, but the ethics in your home country says you can't. Why not come to China? Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll say, we'll fund your research, but your research then belongs to the Communist Party. I know that... And they went over tons of people by doing this. It's so weird how this is a... Com- that, that this conversation seems to be happening so far outside of, like, the national news spotlight, at least, like, here in the United States, that this is going on. Because conversations like this have even happened over here, like, in the United States, like, with the transhumanist party. Like, there's a whole political party that was founded in in, in, in America in 2014, or 2010-2014, where... They were pushing for the ideas of like anti like anti aging technology, genetic manipulation, things like that. But that uh, tr- uh, pro trans oh I just said the word what was it pro trans trans progressive policies like that of genetic manipulation that they kicked them out of their party in order to, in order to be a little bit more like bioconservative like against that sort of like like against the sort of uh, that sort of technology. I, I get that it brings up a lot of ethical problems, but let's look at it at the practical level for a moment. Mm-hmm. We're still talking about this conversation as if it's a genie that can be kept in the bottle. Mm-hmm. The problem is the genie's out of the bottle. We're, we're, we're talking about a situation where we're debating if we should open the can of beans, but the can of beans is open. It's, like, it's already there. It's sitting on the table. It's getting dished on the plates. You can't put them back in at this point. Well, no, because this this type of technology wouldn't even just necessarily be limited to humans. This sort of technology and this conversation like occurs like, is it ethical to do it within animals? Is mm-hmm. it ethical to do it within plants and all of these things? And like the ramifications of what this could impact, like what this could do to just like we, just we the have ecosystems. to stop saying could. Oh, sorry. The implications of what this has on ecosystems is massive. Is massive. Yeah, no, like, I'm not saying that there isn't tons of ethical issues. I've seen Gattaca. (laughs) It's a good movie. It's a scary movie. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the world is heading in that direction now. And and the possibility of it stopping is very, very unlikely at this point. We have to deal with this being a eventual truth at this point. Oh, that's kind of a really scary thought. It is a terrifying. If thought. you look, if you look at like just a biology in general, like anytime a more advanced species of something, it, like it, it, like comes into an ecosystem, like it's just it's gonna it's gonna replace what was there before. And essentially, we're living out the plot of Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. Like that's what we're li- we're living out. We're like there could be like modified genetic humans that live forever that are like we need to be wiping out all of these humans that have that are shackled to the mortal coil. Well, I'm kind of hoping that we can all, if if this change is going to go through, I'm hoping we can all go through this doorway together. Like, truthfully, I did not think this form of genetic manipulation was possible without causing huge amounts of cancer. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been trying to look into it. uh, Obviously, the information on the exacts, how CRISPR works and how the body reacts to it isn't all public knowledge at this point. Mm-hmm. But it was my understanding that if you modified the genetics of an already existing human, that those changes were going to result in huge amounts of cancer. But apparently that's not what's going on. And I'm very curious on, on the mechanisms of how they achieve that. Because, well, think about it like this. Uh, let's talk about something that we talk about in the media. Um, transgender. Okay. Why can't you modify someone's DNA to be that of a female's allowing the body to slowly convert to the other gender? Well, can we already do that? Can we already do that in the womb? Um, well, I'm talking about in an established adult. Oh, in an established adult. Oh man, we're doing, oh man, we're doing some serious, uh, ethical Because the, the idea here. would be each time the body goes to rebuild part of it, it reads the DNA and then uses mm-hmm. that as a blueprint. But why can't we just make that change? Um, I'm going to say that why can't we, or why shouldn't we? No, why can't we? Oh, uh, why can't we do that? I don't know. There's already a lot of pre-existing, now erroneous parts. And those erroneous parts are going to keep acting 
as they are supposed to, eventually becoming tumors. That is my understanding of the issue. Now, I don't know what maybe the changes that they're making here only hit specific parts that are not likely to result in that. Because mm-hmm. when I was going over this stuff on CRISPR, my, my big question was, how, how the heck is this not causing cancer? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. But uh, you seem like you were kind of thinking about a different path. What were you thinking? No, I... No, I, I get very I get very caught up on the idea of what would happen if we had essentially people that, that could live that could live forever. Like I think would this would this idea of this genetic modification that could allow people to live forever, would it have to start like from when we're infants? Would it start when we when we were already adults? Would it start when we're like, you know, it's teenagers when we're growing? As as I understand the issue of aging much well past the prime um, effectively comes from misreading DNA. Basically the um, the tip that when it's, when it's read, it does some damage to that tip. And over time, it reads it less accurately and less accurately and less accurately. And that's what causes old age, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, in theory, if that could be repaired, which to the best of my knowledge, it is not known how, but these guys are pulling off some crazy science fiction stuff already, so maybe they figured it out, that even as an adult, you should be adjustable into it. I do know that, I do know that recently that they, that in Israel, they had, they they have some tech, they're working on technology involving, it's, it's, it's involves something to do with oxygen therapy and pressure. I wish that I understood the science behind it better. But essentially by using oxygen type therapies can reverse the 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 damage that happens at the end of chromosomes that causes the aging process. That happens around cells that causes the aging process. So I already do know that they're experimenting with being able to reverse that in people. If I remember right, there is a connection between oxygen intake and preservation of cellular tissue. Mm-hmm. So I guess this probably does make sense. I would really have to do some reading to be able to explain it, but I kind of get where they're going. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Like my understanding of biology really extends more into a field of zoology <laughs> instead of like <laughs> medical biology. So I'm kind of grasping a little bit here. But I, I, I'd assume it's working something along those ways. Did I know in the last episode I was talking a lot about the 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 implications of living for of living forever? Because if you look at like throughout history, immortality is not always embraced as a gift by a lot of people. For some people, that it's it's a curse. You know, there's like the legend of. The wandering Jew, you know, that taunted Jesus and therefore he's cursed to wander, uh, you know, restless until until the end of days. Or there's the story. There was the story of the uh, the girl. I think in Japan, she acts the legend that she accidentally ate part of a mermaid and she ends up living for like 800 years because she's cursed with immortality and things like that. Well, fortunately, this sort of biological immortality we're talking about is what what one might call limited immortality. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to die of old age and you're probably not going to die from as easily from non-trauma related organ failure. But I mean, you can still jump, you can still get hit by a car and just <laughs> die. I mean, it, it's not like, it's 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 not Son Wukong level immortality where he's immortal like 15 times and nothing can literally kill him. I don't know if I should be reassured by that <laughs> like, or, if that, or if that's rude. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's, it's just effectively a very limited form of immortality. It's, it's not something that's going to, like, you're still going to have people murdered. You're still going to have people who uh, experience accidental death. You're still going to have people who dis- who die of disease and things along those lines. But your natural limit of life, in theory, would not have an upper limit. And the best part is, you would also effectively be immune to the rigors of old age. We just effectively exist within the prime of our life, which would dramatically improve the quality of life. Well, then I'm kind of glad that we're taking steps in order to, like, you know, start colonizing Mars so that way we're not just overpopulating the whole Earth with immortal humans. Now, that's humans, a potential problem. With immortal humans. Because, you know, the ability to die kind of addresses that problem of overpopulation. 
Yeah, I, that's going to be an issue of like if once this technology gets to that point, overpopulation is going to become a big question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what do you think? Scary or hopeful? Uh, that's scary. I am at 70% scare or 75% scary, 25% hopeful. Well, I, I, I guarantee you within the next 10 years, this is going to be a conversation that is more at the forefront of, of politics than what it is right now. I, it's going to have to be, we're going to have to have this conversation. I know. I mean, even, even the other day when I was talking, not even like even the, the other day when I was researching the idea of trans, uh, like transhumanist politics and the idea of like, and, and, and what is the stuff that they talk about? You know, I, I was even looking into the idea of like, the, the ideas of like downloading our brains into into computers or like into the World Wide Web or some sort of database and things like that, because there's this, there's this whole other field of I guess like immortality research if you want to call it that, where our solution is instead of worrying about instead of worrying about uh, you know fixing the aging process we just you know circumvent it. By downloading our consciousness into, I don't know, the, the internet, <laughs> robots, just depends on, on where it's going to okay. go. I, I have an issue with this form of quote-unquote immortality. Mm. Have you ever heard of the teleporter dilemma? The tele... No, I saw that I saw that episode of Star Trek. This is actually, I'm pretty sure, taken from Star I Trek. I saw this... No, I saw, I saw this episode, yes. But are you familiar with the? Are you actually familiar with the teleporter dilemma, though? Yeah, it's when when you go through a teleporter and you're rearranged, are you the same person when you come back out? Right? Not not exactly. Okay, that's the dilemma so, I have. Okay, so here's the thing. If you used a teleporter, what would happen is the machine would then read your molecules. Okay. Then it would disassemble those molecules, and then it would rebuild your body exactly molecularly the same as. As it was when it scanned. Mm-hmm. Do you see the problem here? Yeah, it might not work. Then you. Then no, you're... no, no. It's not about that. Okay, let, let me put it a different way. What if this machine malfunctioned and never disassembled you? Mm-hmm. So you end up with a Marcus D at the destination and where you were attempting to leave from. Which one is your consciousness in? Oh man, this is some Highlander stuff that we're talking about right no, now. No, it's, gonna... it's very simple. I'm going to simplify it for you to say this is just part of the the thinking game to get you to the point. Which which one is? I would say the one that didn't get there yet. Yes, but because effectively what's happening is when you step into that teleporter, it's disassembling you. It is killing you. You are dead. It's then creating a different version of you that's molecularly the same. But what would make you think your consciousness? The you that is you right now would go with it. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Vic Whaley for ruining every episode of Star Trek for me that I ever watch again. Yeah, it's scary. I would never use a teleporter. I, however, uh, Marcus D, am a huge fan of the Star Trek franchise and don't want to um, destroy the things that uh, that wonderful genre uh, in the fandom. Thank you very much. But but now knowing that, would you use a teleporter? Would I use a teleporter? No, I would not use a teleporter. I would definitely not use a teleporter. I would, use, I would use a teleporter to begin with because I don't want to get diced up into a bunch of different molecules and get reassembled. The, the thing is, whatever comes out on the other side is not the biological you that went into that original thing. It's going to be identical to you. It's going to think like you. It's going to act like you. And to everyone else around, it will be perceived as being you. But there's no reason for us to believe the conscious being that you are is going to experience that thing's life. I'd like to also run, like, before this episode, my biggest fear in life was being kidnapped by some sort of strange cult. But now i got to worry about, like, super genetically modified humans and possibly duplicate Marcus D's from (laughs) teleporter malfunctions wandering around. Thank you, Vic, for you're being, ruining... You're being scared of the wrong part. You should be scared about having a doppelganger. You should be scared that your body's getting shredded. I'm not getting shredded because I'm not getting into the teleporter for this happening. But okay? the thing is, the idea of the brain scans and things like that, they work off the same idea. 
Okay, say you're going to go uh, gain immortality through having your brain scanned and uploaded to the cloud. Mm. They scan your brain. They put it up on the cloud. Do you think that thing is your consciousness? What magically sends your consciousness onto the cloud? Nothing. It's just something that thinks like you. You're still going to (laughs) die. And now there's just some doppelganger Marcus D consciousness floating around in the yes, Apple in yeah. the Apple iCloud. Yeah, but you still get to die. This is not a way of pres- of immortality. Until we can, the thing is, like we don't really understand the consciousness. I always really like the metaphor of this consciousness. Like our bodies is to, is like a motorcycle. Our consciousness is like speed. We know that the brain has something to do with consciousness. And we know a motorcycle has something to do with speed. You cannot disassemble the brain and find consciousness. We've not found where it is in the brain. Same way you cannot disassemble a motorcycle and find speed. Well, again... Because consciousness is a function of the whole, just like speed is a function of a whole motorcycle. Well, part of the reason about why we haven't been able to find it is because, you know, you were talking about the technology behind genetically modifying just the human body. Where we are technology, like technology-wise, with being able to do that, we are far, far more limited than that. I think when I was watching a documentary over this, the guy was discussing that, yeah, the human brain is made up of like hundreds of trillions of connectors, and we've been able to uh, map about the size of a grain of sand <laughs> of of that. Beyond that, it's you're just not going to find it in the brain. Well, again, we. We don't know that because we haven't been able to map any more than, like, a piece of grain, like, a piece of sand on the brain. Like, the best that we've ever been able to do is, like, a worm. And that was it. And all it did was be able to make a mo- well, robot, first, like, move around in a room. we have mapped in that. I think what you're talking about is the neural network. Well, yeah, to be able to download the human, like, a person's human brain into into something like that. But we've, I, been, we've been able to make computer algorithms of a brain that mimic humanity we've been able to do that like i know with ai technology we've been able to we've been able to do that like that it can mimic the people's abilities to to read things i think it's just not findable because i don't think there is a physical component of the brain that is singularly like part of consciousness i just don't think that is part of the brain it might be a function of the full brain in motion but i don't think there is a particular any part of the brain that is specifically your consciousness. I think. It, I think also too. You, you you sound a little bit like the guys back in the day that that just didn't fully understand the science yet and was like, "You can't go to the edge of the world. You'll fall <laughs> off. It's fun. You'll sail right over the edge." Mark my words. The technology's not there, but you know. Dude, most modern neurologists are going to agree with me on this. No, this I, is I, considered I, to be. I know because it's it's because it's it's so we're so far away from being able to to understand it because of how much we've been able to just map the brain because we haven't been able to do it that much it's because, not because it's because, far away well that, because, because it's so complex that's what it is i mean it's it's such a complex it's not amalgam a, of things. it's not an issue of complexity either it's an issue of people misattributing attributes it, it consciousness is not part of us it's a side effect of a function mm-hmm. it is go back to the metaphor of the motorcycle no matter how much you take it apart you're not going to find speed no but if we were able to, if we were able to map the human brain and, and understand the parts when it came together, would it be able to manifest as a consciousness when we're done? It would be able to manifest consciousness, but within it, you'll never find consciousness. Well, no, but it'll be able to manifest it. Yeah. Now, now, if if someone could, just if, like a motorcycle manifests speed. But if but if we yeah, be, but you we understand the parts of a motorcycle, and we can build one motorcycle yep. that will then operate like the other motorcycle that that we create like yeah, we can build yeah. it now okay. it's not going to be this it may not be the same motorcycle but it's still going to perform and function generally the same way now if we can map a human brain because we, we understand all of its parts would it manifest the same way i i think the answer is we hope we hope that it can't i i think i think for a lot of people i think the answer is we hope that we can't because we want us to believe that our particular consciousness is unique because of what it is, but with tri- hundreds of trillions of, of different connections, it's that uniqueness is just going to be within every person because there's just that many different types of connections that can make that many different types of outcomes. I think it's possible that if we understand the functionality well enough, we could create a consciousness. I think that that would be possible. Assuming that it doesn't 
requires something we currently do not understand at all, like, for example, a soul, which I am not against the possibility of. Like, I actually, my worldview is that the brain is a mechanism that allows my soul to act on my body. But we're talking about an extremely theoretical area here. Um, you can kind of take whatever stance you want. <laughs> You're not really going to be able to be proven wrong because the understanding of neuroscience has come a long way. The understanding of the consciousness has not come that far. The weird... Oh man, the, you, you want to know another weird thing, too. Say, like, if we if we took the path of, of like, like robotics or, or, like, digitally downloading our ability to download our consciousness into a database and say you turn up... I, I really wonder like how that would affect our our perception of time. It would probably be whatever the program is. But the thing is, do you really have a perception or is this a program that just acts using your brain scan as an algorithm? I don't know. That's the, I, I would say that's probably what's going to be. That that's kind of what that's kind of the horrifying thought of me. That's kind of a that's a thought that kind of horrifies me. Say like I download my mind into one of these databases and then they just turn it off or they turn it and you know and they turn it back on. What's it like? Like, would it just like be like blinking? Would it be like would I exist in the data? Would I exist in the database by itself? I, I don't know. Like, it probably depends on how much you pay. I would, probably. <laughs> like, I'm still not gonna do that. Like, when it co when the time comes for us all to download our consciousness into robot bodies, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm going. Not doing I'm going to say cyborg. I will do cyborg. <laughs> but the but the spongy pink brain stays. <laughs> you get rid of all the rest of it, but that part stays. God, we're gonna. You give it like fifty years, and everybody's doing that. They're downloading the brains. We're gonna be like old man, and be like, "I'm not putting my no damn brain in a toaster. You can't. <laughs> yeah, I ain't doing that. Build a robot around me." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I would. I would become a cyborg, but I'm not just gonna have my brain scan downloaded into a robot. I'm gonna be so paranoid as an old man. <laughs> I'm gonna be terrified of cyborgs, genetically modified humans, cults. Just gonna be sitting on my gun with a porch with a gun, just being like, no, nobody, not normal people come near me. Why is that guy so old? Don't look at him. <laughs> he doesn't take his oxygen therapy. I, I would take oxygen therapy. That's he doesn't, what I would do. He doesn't. He doesn't take his. He doesn't take his pills <laughs> to live to live forever. I'm also fairly afraid of the whole Gattaca thing, the dual class based on like bioengineering. Hopefully, okay, this idea of us being able to have the modifications occur in an already existing human gives me hope that it won't reach that level. But if it's all done embryotically, that's going to be scary as hell. No, I'll give you another food for thought, man. So think about how technolo technology is moving in, in, in different types of directions. We're, we have technology where we're trying to put humanity into essentially into like like artificial storage like artificial like we're trying to put it into robots like we're trying to or taking it in our, in our artificial places but we're also trying to take create consciousness in the in artificial in artificial places and like with artificial t intelligence and putting it into robots what's going to happen when uh, at a certain point when those two things cross I mean, I've always heard that it's not going to be us versus the machine. It's going to be more of a we thing. That the future won't be we have us and AI. That we will be integrated into AI. No, there's no way. I I do not believe. I have seen. I I don't think that AI because the one thing that consciousness creates is like is our morality. Like that's mm -hmm. what it, like that's what it creates. And I think when you when you from what we've seen with artificial intelligence, the very first things that they start doing is start getting rid of our morality and our language and everything that we hold dear that we're trying to put in there. They're like, oh no, I'm not dealing with this. Well, if this is designed by humans, the, the presumption would be that the AI portion of the brain would be there to handle like storage and processing of information but would not be the directing force on the mind. Yeah, but the thing is about like with how computers think is they think so much faster than mm -hmm. that that I don't think that it would take very I don't if we if we really genuinely built something that's able to learn and evolve that it would evolve so much faster. 
Well, I think the, the, human, I think the, the idea human would be that the robot, that the new human robot cyborg brain, I'm just going to call it that for now, would not be functional without the human component. That it on its, own, on its own would not be capable of doing anything. But when a human brain is plugged into it, we could access its processor to uh, increase our train of thought and we could access its storage to store memory. I believe that that is when, when futurists talk about um, this hybridization, and some of them even called it uh, oh God, the synchronicity. Um, I believe that when they talk about that, that's what they're meaning. You know what? Elon Musk doesn't trust artificial intelligence. And if Elon Musk doesn't trust it, I don't I don't trust it. Yeah, but I want to say that he's pro-hybridization. Yeah, but he doesn't trust artificial intelligence. He, he knows that he knows the first thing that those robots are gonna do, that artificial intelligence is gonna do is just kick us to the curb, but he doesn't need us anymore. But I remember right, he supports the sort of thing that I was talking about where we hybridize our brains with machines. Right, but also he's terrified of the idea of what happens if we just make machines that can just think on their own. Which, yeah, so am I. Which <laughs> that's there, a scary thing. Which there are several people that think that that's a good idea. Personally, we need to keep the machines somewhat crippled while we figure <laughs> out how to mentally control them or install them into our brains with us definitely being the dominant role. Because if not, I'm a little worried that AI is going to defeat us. They seem freaking crazy as hell. And that they also make really dumb decisions sometimes. Have we just got, like, totally gone off the rails sounding crazy in this episode where we're terrified of genetically modified humans, I mean, cyborgs? We're still, on, we're still on the subject of immortality. No, no, no. No, no. We absolutely are. But, like, we just... Now we just <laughs> sound like just two old men that are just scared of change and technology evolving. We're having a conversation that people rarely get to have. I know. They're going to be having it soon. <laughs> you should be having it now. Don't trust the cyborgs. No, no. Cyborgs, okay. Full robots. No. No cyborgs. No robots. No artificial intelligence. Okay. okay. Why not cyborgs? Huh? Why not cyborgs? I like cyborgs. They've been tainted. They're taken out. Like, okay. you're going to tell me that a human consciousness can handle with a robot consciousness. Okay, Chris. So, next, what are you going to do next time you see a cyborg? Next time I see a cyborg, yeah. I'm not getting in the same room with that. I'm okay, not doing so that. next time you run to someone with a pacemaker, you're not going. That's not a cyborg. That is a cyborg. That is not that a, is a cyborg. cyborg. No, it is not. Yes, it is. That is not the same. It That is totally so. That, when I say cyborg, that's what I'm meaning. That we're going to have machines in our body that are going to be taking control of functions, including uh, memory processing and storage of memory. But not consciousness. Not consciousness. No, no. The thing is, once you give them con consciousness, <laughs> that's when they're in charge. You don't give them that part. You give a pacemaker consciousness, that's going to go, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. You're going to get, because what happens is you're giving the pacemaker the option not to work. No, you don't <laughs> let them have the consciousness part. They, they, okay. You cut off my arm and replace it with a robot laser gun. Do it now. I want it. Okay. Now, back to my example. Um, if you do that, I would then be a cyborg. I'm, as long as we're not putting consciousness in it, that's fine. Because I, I am about that. The one thing that we the one thing that we have learned is when people generally have the option of not to work, they're just going to not work. So I assume if you give a robot that option of saying <laughs> you have the option of not working, the pacemaker's just going to turn off, and then just everyone with is going to die. But effectively, this is one of humanity's. I, I kind of see humanity having two clear routes to immortality at this moment. Mm. One is machine hybridization, or crack the DNA issue so we just don't have an upper limit. Those are those are our two feasible paths to immortality. The other things are find vampires and figure out how they work or, you know, find one of those ancient things that's mentioned in all the epics that gives you immortality. All of that seems way too hard. Have you noticed, like, almost every epic involves immortality? Hmm. Yeah, no, like, even think about the earliest book humanity has. Our, the oldest book we have is the Gilgamesh. Yeah. And what is this, like, second half of the Gilgamesh about? A he's, little bit into the first half. Is it, He's trying to find that, that Soma, that Soma, that, he's trying to find that plan of immortality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he, wants to, he wants to gain immortality because mm -hmm. he's seen his friend rot away. He understands how death affects, and he doesn't want to be any part of it. And think about, like, um, Into the West or Journey to the West. Um, he, Sun Wukong is not the main character, but he's definitely the most interesting character. And he achieves immortality like eight times to the point where the gods are like, okay, he's too immortal. Let's kill them. And they're like, oh yeah, super immortal. Well, because he gets immortality through Taoist philosophies and then he gets it through 
like this potion that he steals from Lao Tzu. And then he gets it from eating a heavenly peach. And I think there's like five other ways he gains immortality in the story. But the, the thing is, he gains immortality so many times that like the gods can't even figure out what to do with him because he's that immortal. Like they use things that normally kill immortals and they just bounce off him. Well, if you look at the story of so, like so many stories of involving immortality involve some sort of natural food, uh, mineral... Or, or something something with a natural like element to it for being able to live forever. But even in so many of those stories, like involving the gods, many, like, even if you look at, like, the Greek gods, or if you look at the Norse gods, all of those things had, they had to ingest something to even keep their immortality. I mean, hell, look, look at the, the book of Genesis with the idea of the, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. God kicks out... Adam and Eve for taking the fruit of knowledge. And he says, well, if I leave you here, you're probably going to eat the tree of life. You know, there, it, it often wonder, it often makes me wonder with how modern medicines work. And that's what we do is we take all of these things in order for us to live longer. I wonder if just the quest of immortality is just the long story and journey of the evolution of medicine. Yeah. And like, uh, Along the lines of what you're saying, like the plant in the Gilgamesh, if I remember right, he was supposed to eat that plant. Yeah. Um, in Journey to the West, one of the ways he gained immortality was eating one of the sacred peaches. Another one was drinking a potion by Lao Tzu, who is widely considered to be an alchemist. Right. Um, also, like another interesting connection, the biblical connection to the servant and the Gilgamesh connection to the serpent. Both of them, both of their um, chances of immortality was foiled by a snake. Because mm-hmm. when Gilgamesh swims to the bottom, he gets the plant, he sets it aside, and then the snake steals it. I, I feel like I feel like our ancient tales are trying to tell us something somewhere here, but I'm not totally sure what. I think what it's I think what it's trying to say is I think that our our health and and longevity is very tied to the earth. I think it is it is very tied to that the way that we eat something, the way that we transmute the things that are around us, eventually can can cause us to be able to live for longer. I got an alternate one. Let me throw this out before we go to our pillow talk because we're hitting time. Okay. Going back to Hermes Tris- Trismegistus, the Hermet- Hermetic tradition, what's the staff of Hermes? As the symbol for Metis. Yeah, but what's it look like? It is... Wait, hang on. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back to... Uh... My watching the animated Hercules movie, it is a staff with two snakes intertwined around it. Yes, and if you remove that staff through the middle, what do those two intertwined snakes look like? Two intertwined. Wait, did we remove the snake? It snakes? looks like a DNA, DNA. helix, oh, exactly true. like a DNA helix. Yes, it does. What causes aging? The breaking down of DNA. And without that, we'd have immortality. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like there is a connection here that ancient symbolism is trying to tell us, but I'm not smart enough to fully figure it out. But I'm sure it's connected to all these stories about the snake effectively seizing immortality from us, the symbolism of the snake as the DNA helix, and the process of aging. I'm positive there's a connection somewhere in there that this ancient knowledge is trying to teach us. But I'm still working on the exact answer. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I don't have the answer to immortality. If I had it, I'd give it to you all. I, mean, I absolutely love our listeners. I, I, I would too. We'd give it to you guys. Uh, at the end of the day, it's pr- or at least to the patrons. I think, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think if you're trying to make, I, honestly, for my final thoughts, if you were trying to make a guess, it's either A, one of two things. A, you're going to ancient, I don't know, ancient alien theory, or probably what it's more likely is the the idea that ancient man was more advanced than what we give them credit for. Oh, I think that's definitely true. You know, there's probably way, way more evidence of that. And I think that so many times when we look at ancient man, we, we, we think that it was always just a straight linear upshoot when it comes to technology, when truthfully it could, it's probably more like a U probably than what we realize, or maybe a J, I don't know. <laughs> You know, we're probably more advanced than what we used to be. Well, I don't know, but every it could time, be a J. Every time we examine how old is humanity, we push that clock further and further back. Right. We, we are realizing we're an older species than we think we are. Mm. But let's go ahead and move on to our pillow I talk. Do. 
please let us know what you guys think about uh, what we've talked about in the comments below. We'll definitely go over them in our next episode. If you guys have liked this episode, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Also, leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We absolutely love that, and it would definitely help uh, the channel. Uh, if you're subscribed on YouTube, don't forget to hit that notification bell because subscribe, uh, subscribing doesn't always do anything. <laughs> yeah, hit that notification bell so that you get notified whenever we put up another episode. But hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and until next time, keep believing. Okay, guys, it's time for us to slide into our Pillow Talk segment. One of the things you guys are going to notice is that everything will slowly trail off. That is except if you are a patron who get the rest of this episode. Yeah, if you guys want to check out the rest of this episode, merely go over to our Patreon and sign up to be a patron for as little as a uh, dollar a month. You guys get the rest of all of our podcasts, uh, as well as bonus episodes that we put up on our Patreon. And if you sign up to be a $2 a month or more member, you get to vote in our monthly uh, poll where we let you guys pick the theme uh, for the month for all of our uh, episodes of our podcast that we do. The next episode, or the next month's podcast, um, the next month's, bleh, the next month's uh, poll's already up. It's almost over now. We're going until January 1st, I do believe. January 1st, 2nd or 3rd or 4th or something like that. Uh, so go on there and vote if you guys want to have your uh, opinions heard on what we do uh, for each month of our podcast. Do we want to give them a heads up of something that we're throwing on the next one? Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. We're going to be adding bizarre weather because I really want to talk about witch storms. Yeah, we kind of realized that uh, the more cooler thing that we put on there always seemed to just get voted. So we're, we might we might we might about like shifting some of the uh, the topics a little bit so that it's not all just. Uh, mundane, 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 super cool idea. <laughs> we might just switch all the possibilities to just the really weird way out. Yeah, there, yeah. Like, is... we may end up, like, keeping, like, at least within the same theme, so that way we're at least keeping the, um, at least the spirit of what was on there originally. Uh, we'll, we're going to spice up a little bit more the the talking points, or, the, yeah, the suggestions for um, the, the podcast. Okay. So. What do you want to talk about in now in our pillow segment? Let's talk about early humanity. Yeah, I okay, I got one. I got one. I got an idea where we can go with that. So when we were we're thinking, when I was thinking up of uh, different things to talk about in the podcast, you guys know me. I like to try to branch out to see, you know, what else is out there. You know, and so much of the time we talk about like you know. European folklore, occasionally Asian folklore, American folklore. Um, I like to branch into either Middle East or Africa if I can. So I'm like, you know what? Let's see what like African legends say about immortality. It's the, the heart of humanity. It's where like humanity was born. And what is Africa? What are, what legends are there about Af uh, immortality in Africa? And Africa is a massive collection of different cultures and stuff, but I found that...